Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. It's a Friday, October 20th. So glad that you've joined us for this, our last devotional of the week. We have been tracking through Matthew chapter 12 in anticipation of our sermon this coming Sunday here in a couple of days. And so, of course, we're in Matthew 12, 15 through 21. And this is a small text, but it's a pivotal one. We have seen, of course, that our context here is that there's been a decisive turn where the private opposition of the Pharisees to Jesus and his ministry has now become very public, and they have begun to conspire against him to kill him. And in a way, Matthew is showing us their evaluation, their verdict that they have declared, decided upon related to Jesus. And sort of sandwiched in here between all of this growing hostility and opposition, we see that Matthew provides us a glimpse as to what God's verdict is for Jesus. What, 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 is, what is his affirmation? What, what, does, what does God say uh, about his servant? We know what the people are saying. We know what the Pharisees are saying. But what is God saying? Um, that's our context. And so let's read this short passage. It's Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Or let's start with 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fill to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So here we have Matthew quoting from Isaiah. And as a reminder, Isaiah is Matthew's favorite Old Testament book to quote from. He draws from it numerous times. And here um, he's quoting from, from Isaiah chapter 42. And this, this passage begins by, and this is Yahweh's proclamation over his servant, um, whom he says is my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Now that phrase um, is used two other times in Matthew's gospel. And in both times, they're in the context of God the Father speaking audibly to an audience about Jesus. The first time, of course, is in Jesus's baptism, um, where the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and um, God the Father says, Behold my Son, with whom I am well pleased. The second time is coming up in Matthew 17, I believe it is, with the transfiguration. This is when Jesus is with Peter, James, and John on the mountain, and um, the heavens open, and Jesus is glorified, and God declares, um, Behold my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so, so Matthew is drawing from from that same theme and verse, which comes from Isaiah 42. And now what we have to ask is why 
is God pleased with his son? Now, that, that's a trick question because God's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He has had an eternal relationship with himself, one being in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Father is pleased with his son. There, there's an internal um, joy-filled relationship there that's indescribable and cannot be fully grasped, of course, in this life. So, so that's a given. But I think that this idea that, that God the Father is well pleased with his son, okay, specifically has to do with Jesus's role as the servant, and not just a servant, but the suffering servant, right? Because here it says, verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. That, that really gets at the idea that Jesus or the suffering servant is being maligned, mistreated, that he is, um, that he's being abused, but yet for a larger purpose is keeping his mouth shut, is going quietly like a lamb to the slaughter because he has a higher purpose to fulfill, which is not to squash his enemies, but which is to die on a cross, okay? And so I think it's within that context that um, God the Father is speaking his affirmation over his son. Jesus is withdrawing from this confrontation, not because he's scared, not because he's trying to avoid death, but because he has, it's not his time. He has more mission and ministry to accomplish, but there will be a day when he'll be led into the streets, literally, um, and he will not utter a word of complaint. So I think it's that context that we're hearing here that the suffering servant is given affirmation by the Father. Now, I, I want to go just a bit deeper even than that, because this particular passage, Isaiah 42, is part of a whole series of passages in the book of Isaiah about the suffering servant. And one of the most, um, maybe one of the most quoted um, chapters in all the Bible, of course, is Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering servant. And I want to, I want to, want to posit this sort of sort of theory here, not theory, but just idea that as Christians historically, our Orthodox Christian faith has affirmed this idea of what we call penal substitutionary atonement, which which basically means. We all affirm, yes, that Jesus died and that he died for sins and for sinners. But how was salvation accomplished through his death? How, how, what, what was the central meaning of the atonement, if, if we can say it that way? And, and there, there's a lot of right answers to that. But I think the most central meaning that we see in Scripture is that Jesus was a sacrifice for sins, that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and as in the Old Covenant, the, the lamb, the spotless lamb, was delivered up, sacrificed, blood shed, so that the wrath of God was propitiated, was, was turned away, was, was, was cast down upon that blood sacrifice versus um, the people who it's rightly thrown down upon, and that would be us as sinners or the Old Covenant people. Well... This idea of penal substitutionary atonement says, well, Jesus is now that lamb, and that the wrath of God was poured out on him, that he was a propitiation for our sins, that um, 
he who knew no sin became sin for us. Um, that in terms of Galatians three, who blessed is he who is cursed is he who hangs on a tree that that God actually cursed his son. Now there are some, and pre- pre- predominantly in the more liberal progressive sides of Christianity, um, who who really balk at this idea of penal substitutionary atonement. To them, it sounds primitive. It sounds um, vile and vicious. This idea of a bloody sacrifice and blood propitiating the wrath of God that 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 how could how how could God pour his wrath out on his son but yet still be pleased with him and and that's that's a that's become a huge stumbling block to many people in thinking about the substitutionary death of Jesus and of course the answer to this or the response to this is is not to delve further into philosophy but to delve further into the scriptures and so let, let, let's scroll down, if you've got your Bible, down to, to Isaiah 53. And let's see what else Isaiah has to say about this suffering servant that can help us um, understand this a little better. So, so Isaiah 53, verse 7. He, and he's talking about the servant, um, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off for the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Okay. So, so here, very familiar passage, where it talks about how the, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, Jesus, um, was prophesied to be blameless, to be sinless. He didn't deserve this death, but yet he willingly, silently took it on in order to bear our transgressions, okay? Now, the question is, what was God's posture to all this? Look at verse 10. Yet... It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What we see here is that God being the just and the justifier, right, Um although his son had done nothing, it was the Lord's will to crush him, to put him to to grief. Um, It doesn't mean that God took, excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me again. Um, it It doesn't mean that God took pleasure in in striking his son or putting him to grief or offering him up. But it does mean that it pleased God that his suffering servant, his son, willingly died and submitted himself. That's why um, God the Father is pleased with his son. It was ordained before the foundation of the world, not just that we would be chosen blameless in his sight, but that, in fact, the Son of God would lay his life down for us. It was purposed in the Trinity from all time. 
And it's because of that, we can look and say, why was God pleased with his son, with his suffering servant? Because his suffering servant willingly took on the wrath of the father, propitiated uh, that wrath for our sin, took it upon himself. And that is why God looks down and says, well done to my faithful servant in whom I am well pleased. What, an, what a glorious thing to meditate on as we head into the weekend. Um, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, that's going to wrap it up for um, Matthew chapter 12, 15 through 21. We will pick this back up on Monday. Hope to see you then. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, um, it boggles our mind. We can't even fathom what you have done for us. And it's the very thing we could not do for ourselves is to lay our life down and to take away our sin. And you did it by pouring that sin and your wrath out upon he who did not deserve it, who died in our place. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We give you praise and glory and honor for that. And it's in his matchless name, Jesus Christ, that we thank you and pray these things. Amen. All right, everybody. Thanks. Have a great weekend. See you Monday.